Aren't those kids adorable? Oh my goodness. Cuteness off the chart. Just incredible. Okay, if you have a Bible with you this morning, please open up to Galatians chapter 3. Last week, we began chapter 3, and we looked at the first five verses, and, and in those five verses, basically, Paul is challenging the Galatians with a question that's stated in Galatians 3.3, 3. and he writes, Are you so foolish? At the beginning, by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? And to which the answer, sadly, was yes. That's exactly what they were doing. They started in the Spirit, and they're trying to finish up by means of the flesh. So today we'll pick up at verse 6. And in verse 6, Paul uses the example of Abraham as a person who walked with God by faith. Now, in chapter 3, from verses 6 to verse 25... Paul's laying out his argument, and he does all that so that he can make a, a profound, a bold statement at verses 26 to 29. And so this morning what I'd like to do is I'd like to begin with that statement in verses 26 to 29, and then come back and begin the process of looking at uh, the argument he makes uh, in verses 26, excuse me, 6 to 25. So... If you're in chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 26 to 29 to you, or you just follow along on the screen. Paul's writing, he says, So, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you, be, if you belong to Christ, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, and as according to the promise. All right, Lord, I pray you use me today to speak your word to your people in a way that's life-giving. So Galatians 3, verse 26, begins with the word so. I like the word so. So is a transitional word. It's a linguistic bridge from one statement to another statement. So, meaning, in light of everything I've just told you, now hear this. <laughs> Paul's saying, in light of the argument that he's made from verse 6 to verse 25, this, this approach that I've laid out so clearly for you. In light of that, know this. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. You're all children of God through faith. Jews and Gentiles, the Hebrews from Jerusalem, as well as the Gentiles in Antioch, and all you Galatians. All of you are children of God, in Christ Jesus, and through faith. 
For all who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. They've been baptized into Christ. You, you have made your public declaration of your inner new reality that you are His and He is yours. You are now saturated in Jesus, fully immersed in His personhood, through and through, inside and out, baptized on the inside, clothed on the outside, forever changed, completely transformed, never the same again. So much so that there's neither Jew nor Greek, excuse me, neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. Who? Profound, bold statement. Paul's saying that the, the natural, the human, the cultural identifiers no longer apply. They've been washed away in the waters of baptism. They no longer hold true before God. For all who are one in Christ, you've been changed. The old is gone. The new has come. Your relationship, your very relationship with the almighty God of the universe has changed. And along with it, the way you relate to one another has changed. You are now, and this is how it's changed, you are now all one in Christ Jesus. No longer can you say that some are in and some are out. Because of who they were before Christ. All are in. He says, if you belong to Christ, if you belong to Christ, if you, if you, if you self-identify as a follower of Jesus, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. And as according to the promise. And if this be so, Then you too, like your Hebrew brothers, he's speaking to Gentiles now, he's speaking to the Galatians. Then you too, like your Hebrew brothers, are children of Abraham. And uh, along with being Abraham's children, you are rightful as of the promise of God. So what's the prerequisite to be an heir? You're part of the family. And Paul is carefully explaining to the Gentiles, to the Galatian Gentiles, just that. He's saying, boys, <laughs> you're in the family. Powerful, bold statement. You've got to understand that there was separation. There was a clear a challenge going on between who's in and who's out. And they were defining who's in and who's out by the lives people had prior to Jesus. Before they became Christians, there were there were Jews and there were Gentiles. And certainly from the Hebrews' perspective, if you're a Jew, you're in. If you're a Gentile, you're out. And Paul's saying, those rules no longer apply. It's a new day. And things have changed. God has changed things. God came and visited us, and he changed everything. And just, I'm going to speak it in a language that the Hebrews understand, and I'm going to speak it in a language that the Hebrews have used basically to oust you. I'm going to speak in the language of Abraham. I'm not going to speak in the language of Moses. 
I'm not going to speak in the language of the law. I'm going to speak in the language of Abraham. And from the perspective of Abraham, tell you that you're all in. If you've been baptized into Christ and clothed with him, it makes no difference. Slave or free, male or female, Jew or Gentile, you're in the family. Okay, let's take a look. That's the statement. That's the powerful statement he made. Now, let's go, let's back up and I'll look at verses 6 to 14 today. We'll, we'll cover 15 to 25 next week. It's only so much I can cover in, in a day. Let's take a look at the beginning of verse 6. <clears throat> and Paul writes, So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So here we see Paul brings Abraham into the conversation. You have to understand, Abraham is a source of great national pride for the Hebrews. A source of their, their spiritual identity. If, if you'd like to read a portion of scripture that just drives home just how significantly the Hebrews found pride and identity in Abraham as their father. Take some time to read John chapter 8 on your own. I don't have time to, to you know, flesh it out for you today. But read John chapter 8, and it shows you just how much uh, the Hebrews had their identity uh, locked up in Abraham as their ancestry father. So Paul knows, he knows all this about the Hebrews, and he's using the example of Abraham to drive home his point. And the point is this, it's the point that's been through the entire of the letter to the Galatians, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus, not by works, not by the law. See, because not only did Abraham pre-exist the law, but Scripture makes it clear that Abraham was made right before God. He was made righteous before God. Not by the law, but by, but by faith. What does it say? Abraham believed. You see, he couldn't it couldn't possibly be by the law. Because the law hadn't existed yet in the time of Abraham. It would be another 650 years until the law showed up on the scene. And 650 years before the law, Scripture tells us Abraham was made righteous before God. Why? Because he believed. Here in Galatians 3.6, Paul is quoting Genesis 15.6, where it says, Abram believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. In Genesis 15, the word believe, the Hebrew, it's a Hebrew verb, aman. And it means to stand firm, to trust, to be certain, to believe in. The word used here in Galatians for believe comes from the Greek root word pistis, also a verb, meaning faith. Or as I like to say, faithing. <laughs> in the action or the activity of faith. Or maybe trusting is a better way to put it. Yes, yes, very similar. And so Strong's Concordance defines belief this way. To trust in Jesus or God as able to aid either in obtaining or in doing something. 
And it gives the example of saving faith. Abraham believed God. Abraham had faith in God. Abraham was in a relationship with God that included trust. He was in a he trusted God. In his relationship with God, he trusted God. God told him, go from here to there. He trusted what God did it, told him, and did it. Abraham believed God. And you can just as well say Abraham trusted God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. He was following no law, no traditions, no rituals. He just believed God. And the text tells us both Old and New Testament, it was credited to him as righteousness. Verse 7, understand then that those who have faith are children of, of Abraham. Understand, in light of this truth, that it was by faith that our patriarch Abraham was made right with God, so it is with us. So it is by faithing. So it is by the activity of faith. It is trusting God that makes us the two. We're in two. It makes us part of the family of God. Not because we jump through the hoops or dot every religious I or cross every religious T, but because we too trust in God. Verses 8 and 9. Paul writes, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. He says, all nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. So 650 years before Moses, before the Mosaic law was instituted, God had a relationship of faith, a relationship based on trust with Abraham, a relationship that preceded the law. And in that trust relationship, the almighty God of the universe made a promise to his friend Abraham. He says, all nations will be blessed through you. And you know what I discovered? If you do a word study on all, all means all. <laughs> all means all. It certainly means something other than Hebrews only. All nations means something only other than Hebrews only. All nations means something other than Gentiles need not apply. All nations means all nations. And the blessing is this. It's the way of faith. It's the relationship of trust. And so in verse 9 it says, So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So those who come to me in the way Abraham came to me have the same blessing that Abraham had. Verses 10 to 14. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Certainly no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, curses anyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. That's a mouthful. Let me see if I can break this down for you a little bit. 
So here Paul is basically stating to the Galatians that they've got two paths before them. One is the law, and the other is grace through faith. And the path, and he wants them to know as clearly as possible, the path that's marked the law will not get them where they want to go. It will not make them right before God. That the only path that they can take if they want to be right with God is the path of grace. The path that's marked by grace and faith. The path that's marked by trusting God. To his he, to, uh, to, to his Hebrew friends, he's saying in this writing in verses 10 to 14, none of us are capable of fil- fulfilling the entire law. None of us have been able to do it. Right? Guys, it's, it's been hundreds of years, and we've not one has been able to fulfill the law. And unfortunately, when it comes to the law, it's an all-or-nothing proposition. If you want to live by the law, then what's required is this. You have to perfectly fulfill every single law. You can't get 9 out of 10. You've got to get 10 out of 10. You can't get 99 out of 100. You've got to get all 100, and you have to get them all perfectly. And there was more than 100. There was like 600 and something laws. Just as it's written, and he's quoting Deuteronomy 27, 26, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the law. And just like all men, all everything means everything. He's saying, if this is what he's saying, if you do 99 and miss one, you're under a curse. You've got to do it all perfectly. And Paul, he's honestly speaking to his Hebrew brethren. Guys, we can't do it. We've never been able to. Be honest with yourself. You know you've not fulfilled it perfectly. I dedicated my whole world to this and I didn't do it perfectly. So, he says, clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God. Because we couldn't keep it, if you go down that path and mark the law, you're not going to be justified before God. But, just like our father Abraham, the righteous live by faith. If you take this other path, and let me encourage you to take this other path of grace and faith, because it's the path that, that our patriarch, that our father Abraham took. And on that path, not the one marked by law, the one marked by faith. That's what made him right before God. That's what will make you right before God. He's saying Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. And the curse being this. This is the curse of the law, that no matter how hard you try, you'll never ever make it. That's the curse of the law. It's a perfectionist nightmare. If you're a perfectionist, I'll get it right this time. You will never, ever be able to do it. I think that was the purpose of the law. God set the bar so high so that we'd finally get it. Guys, you can't do this. You need me. Matter of fact, I'm going to replace the law. And we're going to replace it with this, a relationship of love and trust. Just like I had with Abraham. Remember Abraham? You guys liked Abraham. Verse 14, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come 
to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we may receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. So here Paul is saying that he, God, redeemed us, the Hebrews, so that the blessing given to our father Abraham might also be extended to the Gentiles. And what is this blessing? The, the blessing is this, guys. It's friendship with God. That's the blessing. The blessing of Abraham is friendship with God. Intimate, personal friendship with God. That's an astonishing promise. That's what a relationship of trust is. When trust, intimate trust, exists between two people, at the very least, they're friends. Listen to the words of James chapter 2, verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. Abraham was known as God's friend. That's the fruit of following the way of Abraham. So there's no higher blessing. What was granted to Abraham is available to each of us. Friendship with God. How? By the promise of the Spirit. And I've said this so much before, and I'm hoping that it's, it, you're getting it. It's really not about performance. This whole Christianity thing, it's all about relationship. From God's perspective, it's always been about relationship. From the moment of creation, all that he did was so that he could have relationship with us. And when things went awry in the garden, everything has been a path back to relationship. He gave us Abraham as a, as a marker. And Jesus came himself. And today we have the Holy Spirit. So that every single one of you can live each day in close personal friendship with the God of the universe. That's pretty stinking cool. Now next week we'll pick up at verse 15. I'm going to stop teaching for this morning. But I do want to tell you a story. Before I end. I want to share with you an experience that I've had uh, with God. And it concerns being, being a friend of God. Now, I, some of you may have heard bits and pieces of this story before. I'm not sure that I've, I've shared this kind of detail. or and I'm not sure if I put it together like this before, but it seemed to fit. <clears throat> so back in 2008, I went through a season where God showed me 40 visions in 40 days. And it was amazing. Matter of fact, for six years in a row, God would show me visions, beginning on February 11th and following for the next 40 days. And more often than not, it was like, um, it was, it was like binge watching on Netflix, right? You go from episode to episode to episode. Each morning I'd, I'd wake up, I'd spend some time at the Lord, and it's like the adventure would pick up where it left off the day before. Just amazing, amazing. And I can tell you that the, the overall of it was vastly more about relationship. That seemed to be the thing he wants to talk to me about. Maybe it's why it's so deeply ingrained in such a, a, a passionate topic of mine, is that's what he's spoken to me about. And so in these visions, um, God put me in a, in a construct, in a, in a setting that we would go back to again and again. 
And at the beginning of these visions in 2008, um, I remember at one point walking into what looks like a hotel lobby. This is in a vision, in the spirit. Sometimes these visions would last minutes. Sometimes they would last hours. I remember I'd come down from the bedroom and Nadine's like, you were up there for three hours today. I was like, wow, just, it felt like minutes. But just in, fully immersed into the realm of the spirit. And God speaks in dreams and visions. And this is what he did for me. And so this, the visions I want to share today, they took place in, in a place that I refer to as a hotel lobby. It's like, it had a kind of a 1940s, 1950s decorative feel to it. And I can remember walking in the, the main entrance to the lobby, and off to the left-hand side, there was a, a counter where you would go and check in. And uh, off to the, to the right-hand side, there was a huge fireplace with a fire roaring and a couch and some chairs by it. Off, directly off to my right, there was a window and another chair. Straight ahead were elevators. And I can remember walking into this hotel lobby and, and just kind of taking in what I, what I saw. And so by this time, I'd already had some vision experiences with God. And one of the things I learned in the process was, if I just relax and just stay in it, that God will show me more. When I first had a couple of visions, I saw some stuff, and it freaked me out, okay? So freaked me out that I just jolt myself out of the experience. But I've had a few by now, and I learned that just breathe the wacky, <laughs> and just calm down, and if you could just stay at peace, God's going to show you more. Yeah, that's how it works inside of me. And so I'm in this hotel lobby, and I noticed two things right away. There's a man standing at the, at the check-in counter, and there's another man sitting in a chair facing the fireplace. And I'm really drawn to the guy in the chair. I really want to go talk to him. I don't even know why. I just want to go talk to the guy sitting in the chair. But I know, somehow I just know that I know I'm really supposed to go to the counter first. And so that's what I do. I go over to the counter. And the, the person behind the counter, he says to me, would you like a room? And I said, yes. And he said to me, well, how high would you like to go? I rather flippantly, maybe with even a smirk, I kind of said, well, I'd like to go all the way to the top. And he looks at me and he says, um, it'll cost you everything. I was like, yeah, I understand. I still want to go. And he just paused, and very seriously, sternness in his voice, he said, no, you don't understand. It will cost you everything. And it just kind of took me back for a second. I just took some pause and pondered his words, but, you know, really on my journey with Jesus, I'd already gotten to the point where I'm all in anyhow. My life is his, and... And so I said to the guy behind the counter, I said, I'm all in. There's no turning back now. I want everything God has for me. Nothing more, nothing less. Please give me my room key. And so the guy behind the counter, he kind of nods his head knowingly. And he says to me, so be it. He says, you can get your key from the man sitting by the fireplace. I go, oh, okay. I want to go talk to him anyway. And so I head over that way. And there's a man sitting there. He's, he's dressed in a business suit, but kind of like someone out of the 1940s, you know, he's kind of got like a fedora type hat on, and he's got a nice suit, and very proper, he's, he, he's smoking a pipe, he's reading the newspaper, he's got his legs crossed, 
He's sitting comfortably. The chair is kind of angled, a little bit away from the fireplace. He's got a small table sitting next to him. These are the kind of details. I close my eyes. I'm back in that room right now. I could see it. And as I approach him, I can just feel like wisdom just radiating off of this guy. There's a wisdom, like a father figure type wisdom that's coming off of him. And my first impression is, oh, I think he's a minister from an earlier era. That somebody who who'd done ministry in the 40s or 50s or maybe earlier. He looked like some pictures I'd seen before. And so I, I addressed him. I said, excuse me, brother. I said, I, I was told that I needed to get my room key uh, from you. And so he lowers his newspaper and he looks up at me and he says to me this. He says, I'm not the brother you think I am. He says, I'm his angel. Okay, I have no box for this, but this is what he says to me. He says, I've been waiting for you. He says, I've been waiting for reassignment a very long time. No one has been willing to pay the price. And with that, he folds up his newspaper and he hands it to me and he says, this is your key. Then he stands up and he steps forward. And when he steps forward, he just enters right into me. And he disappears. And I kind of feel woozy. (laughs) Almost intoxicated. So much so that I need to sit down in the vacant chair uh, in front of me. And I sit down in the chair, and, and the chair immediately kind of turns and it faces the fire, fireplace front and center. I'm looking at this blazing fire, and on that day, uh, that vision ended. That was on, um, let's see, that was on February 21st, 2008. For the next 24 days, I'd have a vision every day. And the story and the adventure would take me all these different places and God would show me different stuff and I'd meet different heavenly beings. It was wonderful. One of, truly one of the high points of my spiritual life. And then 24 days later, the adventure I've been on takes me back to this hotel lobby. And I find myself sitting in that same chair uh, before the same fireplace. And... Um, And on this day, on um, on March 16, 2008, there were two heavenly beings with me, the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation. I've told stories before. One of the earliest visions I had, these two heavenly beings showed up, and that's when I freaked out. I saw them and was like, ah, and just kind of jolted myself out of it. But I've had lots of experiences with them since. And um, I remember asking them once, I didn't know who they were, I said, who are you? And one said that he was the spirit of wisdom, and the other said he was the spirit of revelation. I said, okay, I said, why are you here? They said, well, we're here to help you know God better. And then the light went on in my head, and I realized, oh, that's what Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. He prayed for the Ephesians, that they would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation, to know God better. Never in my wildest imagination did I think wisdom and revelation would take on some kind of personality. But this is how they've been shown to me. And they told me that they were God's gift to me. And that they would always be with me. And so here I am, 24 days later, back in this hotel lobby and wisdom and revelation are with me. <clears throat> I'm sitting in the chair. And now for the first time in this room, 
um, and I've been to this room a few times o- over these days, I see a door that I've never seen before. And the door is, if you kind of went all the way to the back of the room where the elevators were and, and hung a left around the side of where the, the counter is, there was another door that way. And though I'd been in this lobby a number of times, I just never noticed that door before. And so, it wasn't quite all that easy to see. It was kind of back and around and down a small hallway, like I said, just to the left of the elevators. And so, I walk over to the door, and it, it's a solid wood door like some other doors I'd seen in earlier, earlier visions. I, I remember from my school days, there would be wooden doors on classrooms or on offices, and like, there'd be a wood door, and the, the principal's office would kind of have like in gold paint, painted principal, right? Sometimes it would be on the glass, sometimes it would just be on the wood, or the, you know, the, you know, the counselor's office, or vice principal, whoever it was. It, it kind of looked like that, trying to paint a picture. It's a wood door, and it has like this gold kind of labeling on the door. And I look at the door, and it says private. It says authorized personnel only. I'm thinking, okay, it's kind of odd. So I try the handle, and I notice that the door is locked. But I remember, oh, I'd been given a key by that angel some 24 days earlier. And I still had it with me. So I take out the paper. I had it under my left arm. And for the first time, I mean, he gave it back to me all that time before. I never looked at it before. I don't know why, but I never did. I open up the newspaper, and the headline reads this. It says, Tom Zawacki, friend of God. And the byline is by St. John. And the article printed below is all of John chapter 15. I thought, wow, it's kind of interesting. So I folded up the newspaper, and it effortlessly slips right into the lock, and it instantly opens the door. And as soon as the door opens, it's like a flood of light. It's like brilliant, bright light. Um, and it takes my eyes a few seconds to adjust to the brightness, and just like a wash with bright white light. But my eyes eventually adjust to it, and, and I quickly I noticed a couple of things. I, I noticed that there are two very nice overstuffed leather chairs kind of angled toward each other, and a small round table between them. And there seems to be two steaming mugs of beverage, looks like, I'm guessing, coffee, on this little table. And so I'm just standing there, and I'm wondering, what do I do next? Do I enter? Do I wait for somebody to tell me I can enter? And with that, wisdom leans over to me and whispers in my ear. He says, you have the key. Access is granted. Enter in. So I enter in. The door closes behind me. I sit down. And I see Jesus sitting in the other chair. He leans in and he just looks at me. And I, kind of, I lean in and I look at him. And his eyes are amazing. They're deep. And they're filled with life. And as I'm looking into his eyes, I see image after image after image. It's like he's showing me everything that there ever was or everything that there ever would be. From the, from the beginning of time until the end of time. And it's just coming, it's coming with a rush and with a flood. In the first nanosecond, I'm thinking, I'm trying, oh, I need to remember this. And I, I quickly am realizing, it's overwhelming. 
It's like it's like trying to take a sip of water from Niagara Falls. It's impossible. And then I just open my heart and and just let it rush in. Let it be a spirit to spirit communication. It was never going to fit my mind anyway. And so whatever it was that he was revealing, it was going into my spirit. And I realized that he was making known to me everything that he had learned from the Father. Vastly beyond my intellect. Vastly beyond anything my mind could comprehend. And I was reminded of John 15. Verse 15, where it says, Jesus says to the disciples, I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends, for everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. And so the images stop, and I just look at Jesus, and he's truly beautiful beyond description. The combination of his mercy and his love for me, I feel like I'm melting in his presence. I'm swooning. It's just so overwhelming. I can barely, I can barely stay conscious. And he sees that and he reaches out his hand and he just touches me on the arm and instantly I'm strengthened. And so I'm looking at him and there's a part of me that wants to look away, but I can't. Because it's just, it's just so much. It's just so much to look in. So powerful. Yet so loving. It's like I'm overwhelmed by the power that emanates from him. And I feel like I need to look away. But I'm so drawn in by the, by the magnificence of his love and his tender mercy that I can't bear to look away. And so I look at him and I say... This is the top floor, isn't it? <laughs> and he says to me, yes, it is. He says, friendship with the world is hatred for me. He said, do not love the world. He says, you can love the world or you can love me. You cannot love both. You'll have to choose. I said, Lord, I choose you. He smiles. He says, it'll cost you everything. And I smile back, everything is nothing compared to being here with you, Lord. He picks up his, cu his cup, he sits back in his chair and he takes a sip. He says, he said, this is good, try some. And he extends his cup to me. I think there's something significant about drinking from the cup of the Lord. So I take his cup in my hands and I can feel the power of life on it. Without hesitation, I bring the cup to my lips and I sip and I drink. And I could feel the warmth of his love just kind of flow through my being. I sit back. I mean, I am, I am completely satisfied. Maybe in the most peaceful I've ever felt in all my life. It's truly extraordinary. There's no fears. There's no anxieties. There's no care. And for a long time, we just sit there quietly together. And it was awesome. <laughs> And finally, breaking the silence, I don't know how much time passed, but Jesus says to me, he says, I have new assignments for you. The adventure has only begun. And with that, the vision faded. And I had the understanding that I had many more divine appointments awaiting me. 
And I can tell you that since that day, I've, without exaggeration, I've had hundreds of other visions similar to that. Friendship with God, to be able to sit with Him and have a cup of coffee, to look into His eyes, it's priceless. When Paul said, I consider everything a loss compared to the knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, the way those words make sense to me was this experience. Nothing, nothing beats being with him. This was the way of Abraham. It's friendship with God. Friendship with him. And I'm here, and I think God gave me this vision not to wow you with a story on a Sunday morning, but as a testimony. That if he could do that with this kid from Brooklyn, he absolutely can do it with you. I'm not some super Christian. I'm a regular guy. My wife loves me. i got two good kids. I just have Jesus in my life. And he's allowed me, I believe, to taste the promise of Abraham. To, like Abraham, be a friend of God. And I want you to know the exact same promise as yours. Will he give you a vision like he gave me? Um, I don't know. I think he's creative enough that he could do something completely unique and other just for you. Something that's designed with you in mind. He... He created a scenario and an environment, a place where we could meet that he knew I would be comfortable in. He, he speaks Tom. And he speaks John, and he speaks Lori, he speaks Liz, he speaks Mike. He speaks all you guys. He speaks your language. And the enormity of God, he could create any type of scenario that will get you to the same end where you will experience friendship with God just like Abraham. So you told me there are new assignments. The adventure's only begun. It's those adventures that led me here. How many times? From that day, I think we have moved one, two, three, we've moved three or four times <laughs> from the day I had that vision. The adventure certainly continued, both in the spiritual and in the national. And, and part of the process, and if you've spent a little bit of time with me, you know this is where I'm coming from, he's put a passionate message on my heart about friendship with God, a message of love, a message of freedom, a message of amazing grace, and an understanding that the highest place that we can go in God is simply this, to sit with him. And to listen to his voice and enjoy time together. That's the highest place. Out of that, oh man, nations can get saved. Revival could come. The sick could be healed. The dead could be raised. Churches could grow. People could be trained and equipped for ministry. Out of that. Out of sitting with him. Out of sharing his cup together. So let's pray. Let's stand and pray.
Lord, I think that we should settle for nothing less than your very best for us. And your very best for us is you. And so, Lord, I ask that you would come as the creator. And that you would create in the lives of my friends situations, scenarios, circumstances, unique ways of relating and interacting with you so that when it's all said and done, they would define it this way. Friendship with God. They would define it as friendship. Reveal yourself to us, O God. Reveal your magnificence. Reveal how awesome you are. Do it, Lord. Lord, I was willing to pay the price. I pray for my friends that they be willing as well. I pray that you lead us into the deep. Lead us into those places of abiding with you. Make it real, God. I pray that along the way that you'd set us free from the trappings, even the traps of religion. And lead us into the promise of Abraham, a relationship of love and trust with you. Make it so, God. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.